You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. So, welcome again, everybody. Uh, welcome to YCC, particularly if you're a visitor here or you haven't been before. Uh, Obviously, we're starting our, the summer. This is the start of our summer season at YCC. And summer's often a time when there's a slightly different feel, a bit more relaxed. Children are off school, a break in the term. It's time to kick back a bit, take the pressure off, uh, have a change of pace or rhythm, uh, and maybe take time out or go on holiday. Um, it's tempting to think sometimes that when you're kicking back and relaxing, oh, let's, let's just have a break from church or, uh, you know, change of pace and rhythm. Maybe I won't do my Bible reading so much or pray. But uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on giving ourselves to God and each other and reflecting that within the life of the church. And we're going to be looking at three areas, prayer, hospitality, and Sabbath. So you've got a three-in-one this morning. Uh, you've got uh, Pete Roderick, uh, Pete Rayner and I are bringing three short takeaway encouragements uh, for you to enjoy. And I get to start us off on the topic of prayer. Many of you know that I'm really passionate about this. And it's such a big topic, I'm just going to be focusing a little, uh, a short section on persevering or keeping going in prayer. And I'd love to know what some of you would say if I passed the mic round and said to you, what answers to prayer have you seen in the last week, or in the last month, or year, or ten years? Now, some of you are taking a big gulp and thinking, well, I hope she doesn't actually pass the microphone around. And maybe some of you are thinking, actually, I don't know what I'd say, or maybe you're even thinking, I can't actually remember when I last prayed. But let's hold that question, uh, because I'm going to come back to it. I could rephrase it and say, what conversations have you had with God recently? This is what prayer is. It's communicating, it's relationship. And whatever level your Christian walk is at right now, or whether it's none, God wants you to go deeper. Now, I recognize that prayer is something we can all grapple with. It's not easy. It's a discipline. And we often give in to distractions and then feel guilty for not praying enough or praying at all. Or we have a few moments of Bible reading and quiet time in the morning and then we get on with our day. As if prayer and everyday life are two separate things. But here's the amazing truth. The almighty God, creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, has such a profound love for you that he wants to spend time with you he wants to share your life he wants to hear about your experiences listen to your voice and he wants to speak to you 
Isn't that incredible? Not only that, but he recognizes our frailty when it comes to prayer. And he's put things in place to help us. So Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf before the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness. So when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes for us, often using groans that words can't express. And for those that times when you're struggling to know what to pray, we also have God's word. So why not use this summer to refresh your prayer life, to kickstart it if it's got a bit stale? And the Bible is a great way to focus your prayers. A couple of weeks ago, Alan taught us about the last five Psalms, and they're, they're great for using as a basis for your prayers to praise God. Use scripture to listen to God, to hear from him. Read it. Think about it. See if God is speaking to you through it. Likewise, when you want to pray for someone and don't know what to pray, use the Bible, use scripture. Use something like Psalm 1. Pray for them to be delighting in God's word. Pray for them to be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season. Or Ephesians 1 or Colossians 1 or any other scripture that speaks affirmation and confirmation and encouragement over somebody's life. And in fact, I've learned that this is also a great way to answer that tricky little YCC question that often gets asked when you're least expecting it. How can I pray for you? Now, I know I've been asked this, and I know some of you have been asked this, because I've actually asked some of you. And what happens when somebody says, how can I pray for you? Normally you gulp, and then you hurriedly cast around in your mind to think, um, uh, what, what shall I say, what can I be prayed for? Your mind goes blank, and then you say, um, nothing really. Wrong answer. If someone is offering to go into the presence of a holy God and pray for you, and you can't think of anything at the time, ask them to pray scripture or ask them to pray that you would be able to pray more ask them that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know God better or that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which God has called you or the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparable great power or any other scripture that speaks life and affirmation. Because Jesus is our model. He devoted himself to prayer, whether it was withdrawing to a quiet place by himself or praying with the disciples. These times of communicating with God guided his day, where he went, who he spoke to, and what he said. And if that was what Jesus needed to do how much more do we need to do it and we're called to devote ourselves to prayer and to pray without ceasing and the only way we can do this is to let our day be filled with different types of prayers and requests from the moment you open your eyes or even before you open your eyes from the moment you wake up 
um, commit your day to God. Then continue without, throughout the day to breathe your prayers. Whether it's as you work, move around your workplace, whether it's praying for a tricky neighbour, as you're going around the supermarket, walking along the road, praying for your community, thanking God for his creation. Share your joys, your difficulties, your every day, be in conversation with God. The other wonderful support prayer is that we have each other, who we can pray with and encourage. And as I look around the room, I can think of times when I've prayed for specific situations for people. And people have prayed with me. Um, a few years ago, I found that I was struggling to pray with faith. There's things that I've been praying for for about 30 years and have not yet seen an answer to, and I was struggling with that. So I got a couple of people at church to say and uh, to pray for me, not to pray for the situation, but to pray for me, that I would be able to keep going in my prayers. And I have. I still haven't seen breakthrough in those situations, but I have the faith and belief to keep praying for them. And this is why we can get together through prayer meetings, community groups, to equip, encourage, and support one another in our faith. And throughout the Bible, God's people, individually and corporately, remembered and gave thanks for answered prayer on how God had moved or for something God had spoken to them. And this builds faith and encourages us to keep praying. So, I'm going to return to that question. How have you seen God answer prayer in the last week, or few months, or few years? Let me help with this. In the last few months, within the church, we prayed for the healing of Billy Needs and Eliza Kemp, both of whom who were very ill and are now well. At a Sunday night prayer meeting in June, we prayed for Mehdi and Nargis that they would have their claim fast-tracked to the next stage. And the following week, it was. Some time ago, Jeremy and Anne Simpkins visited our church and prayed we would be a church for the nations. At a recent meeting, we counted at least 10 different nations represented. During our season of giving, we had every room in this building set up for a different area to pray for. One of them was Yahala Matam, uh, our pop-up restaurant. Since then, they've been given additional grants. They're taking on new members of staff. They're having more events that they're able to provide their meals for. And they're going from strength to strength. We prayed for the mental health provision in the city. We'd had a number of mental health evenings. And we've now received um, a grant to continue that mental health provision to support people who are struggling in our city. We prayed for Read, Mark, Learn, and new groups are forming with people meeting with Jesus and wanting to know more. We prayed for Citadel building projects. Planning permission has been granted and work has already started. In 2021, we had a new kitchen installed I had been praying for that kitchen for six years, 
with many other people joining with me. And it wasn't that I wanted a new kitchen because I thought it would be a nice thing to have. It was because I knew that if we had a good kitchen, God could really use it to reach out to others in the city. Did I foresee Yahalamatam when I started praying? No. Did I foresee the Welcome Cafe and the food that we'd be able to serve for those seeking asylum and in desperate situations? No, I didn't. That was God. It's about partnering with God in his purposes to see his kingdom come. In 2014, we prayed about buying a building and God provided the finances we needed and we won the sealed bid to buy the citadel. And we've been praying since then that the citadel would be filled with life. We recently estimated that we would see about 5,000 people come through our doors in the coming year. This starts with a conversation. It starts with a conversation with God. It starts with coming to him saying, God, what are your plans? What are your purposes? Speak to me. It's about seeking him through prayer. And it continues about coming to a faithful God who wants to reveal more of himself to each one of us. And a God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So this summer and beyond, keep praying, keep persevering, keep going. Peter. Thanks, Nikki. So we want to encourage and exhort you to pray this summer. The second thing we want to encourage and exhort you to do as the church is deliberate acts of hospitality. And we're going to use this verse to talk a little bit about hospitality. When our Bibles use the words hospitality, they're translating the Greek phrase philoxenia. Uh, now, xeno means stranger, philo means love. And probably we all know what xenophobia is, don't we? Xenophobia is, you know, hatred of the other. Well, what we have here is the opposite, xenophilia. We have quite literally in hospitality the love of strangers. It's an anti-hatred, anti-racist, pro-reconciliation practice right at the center of the Christian life. Hospitality. Hospitality was a key feature of the early Christian communities. Jesus himself was more often than not a recipient of hospitality. For a large portion of his ministry, Jesus seemed to be staying in the houses of others, Mary and Martha, or you know, um, Simon the Pharisee, Peter's mother-in-law. A number of times, if you're reading the Gospels, you'll find the phrase, Jesus entered the house of X or Y or Z. The Bible has also within it the story of the early church in the Acts of the Apostles. And again, we see within that story the expansion of the Christian community, um, the theme of hospitality coming through again and again. So the Apostle Paul was a guest of Lydia and the Philippian jailer. Uh, he lived in the house of Priscilla and Aquila for around 18 months. The early church pioneers were hosted in um, cities by new converts, often in their houses. And in fact, the churches themselves, more often than not, didn't meet in designated buildings like this. They met in homes. But how does hospitality differ from socializing? 
quite radically, I suggest. It's not anything less than socialising, but it certainly is quite a bit more. And this is illustrated beautifully in the last chapter to the letter of the, of the letter to the Romans, chapter 16. Now, you, you may know Romans, you may not, and that's fine, but you, you may have read chapters 1 to 15, which are this soaring theology uh, about Jesus and what he has done and the new realities of life he's brought us into. So that's chapters 1 to 15, that theology, but chapter 16 is, is kind of the sociology. It's, it's, it's a little bit like the author Paul's about the curtain, and you see the the society, the networks, the people, the communities who are involved in this incredible work of building a Christian gospel mission across countries and across continents. It's a list of probably around it's about 30 names of, of women and men that Paul thanks and then he commends and he greets them and he says hello and he gives them instruction or he asks something of them. This wonderful list of the society that is being built. And then in verse 22, right near the end, something a bit surprising happens because someone else starts speaking. In the book of Romans, someone interrupts Paul. (laughs) I don't know if you'd have had the guts. (laughs) I, Tertius, the writer of this letter, greet you in the Lord. Actually, it would have been pretty commonplace for a letter like this to have been dictated by Paul, but then written down by somebody else. Posh name for it is an amanuensis. Um, They would have actually have done the writing that Paul was speaking. And Tertius continues, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. We can't know the exact social setup here because it's not a particularly long verse, is it? But in these simple words, there are hints of a revolutionary type of social community trying and starting to bubble up in first century Corinth. Gaius and Erastus are noble names. Erastus is certainly of high position. We already know he's, he's essentially the city's main money man. He's the chancellor of the exchequer for Corinth. But Tertius and Quartus... Well, they're much more lowly names. In Roman culture, slaves were of such low dignity, they weren't actually considered personas, persons. And they were often not given proper names at all, but to tell them apart, well, you'd use the order of their birth, primus, secundus, tertius, quartus, first, second, third, fourth. And it's quite likely tertius and quartus were therefore third and fourth slaves in their family. Just dwell on that a second. The Jewish Paul, born in Turkey, studied in Jerusalem to become a Pharisee, is now in a Greek city building a church with a former Roman slave, Tertius, previously considered a non-persona. Both of them hosted in the house of the city's Chancellor of the Exchequer, a man whose hospitality the whole church enjoy. And then Paul turns to Tertius and says, Tertius, you must greet the Roman church in this letter, which is possibly my most important one. You must greet the Roman church too. Greet them on behalf of me. Greet them on behalf of Erastus and Gaius and Quartus. You see, hospitality is not just socializing. It's the creation of whole new types of social community. 
It's building something beautiful out of people who formerly looked nothing like one another. People who formerly existed in separate social spaces. It's building them into a powerful body which is more than the sum of its parts. So let me give a practical example and then a final thought. The practical example is something that is happening this summer on the 13th of August and the flyers are around in various different languages when we get to celebrate our international summer feast. This is not about us as a church, York City Church, hosting a nice celebration and inviting people into it. This is about us, the community of people, increasingly reflecting different nations and cultures, celebrating together what God is doing. So please mark it in your diaries and come ready to welcome, to include, to love strangers and, of course, to love those who you already know. And finally, a closing thought, because I've talked a bit about hospitality, and I just want to acknowledge, just want to recognize that hospitality is beautiful, it's crucial, it's sometimes misunderstood. And I think that's possibly because in Christian culture, we've equated it with the habit of inviting people back to your spacious house for light brunch. What if you don't have a spacious house? What if you don't have the money to afford light brunch? Well, if that's you, you're in good company because neither did Jesus. But we've established that hospitality is far deeper than putting the kettle on. It's essentially about building relationships which welcome and include the other and acknowledge their needs. So let me throw out some ideas for you this summer which are not light brunch. Ways of showing hospitality in imaginative and creative ways. These are from my head, and I'm not a particularly imaginative, creative person. I'm sure you have many more ways than these. But how about you just take a really simple step and deliberately choose to speak to new people at church and to develop new relationships with them? How about you make too much food accidentally and give your elderly neighbor a portion of lasagna? How about you greet new people in your street with a car through the door just saying who you are? How about you try and share your life with those at different life stages? Set yourself the challenge. By this time next year, I want to have a good friendship with someone who's not actually at my life stage. Because we do tend, don't we, to cluster. How about you invite the outsider at work to eat lunch with you? How about you befriend the dad at the school gates who no one seems to talk to? How about you try to bear with differences well when maybe someone's entered your life whose style is just not your style? How about you try to bear with that difference well and love them? How about coming to the Welcome Cafe and volunteering and making meaningful friendship, not just social pleasantry, but friendship with someone of a different country of origin to you? I mean, look, these are all ideas, and I'm sure there will be many other circumstances you can think of, but brothers and sisters, we're not a social club. We are a community of hospitality. So this summer, as the household of God, let's be formed in bonds of love, Let's be who we truly are, a hospitable community, and let's look beyond ourselves and love others well in it. And now let's talk about Sabbath. Lovely. So we're encouraging you over summer to pray, to uh, pray without ceasing, to increase in your faith, to be hospitable. But the final thing we'd also encourage you over this season is to Sabbath, is to rest, is to find that space in your life to do nothing. I wonder when the last time it was you did absolutely nothing. 
And I wonder how you feel about doing absolutely nothing. For me, it almost feels impossible. Little kids running around demanding attention, work, and all these things. Perhaps it makes you feel full of joy and delight, ah, the peace of doing nothing. Perhaps it makes you feel anxious that I could stop. Um, and as I stop, things get difficult. And as I, I start to think I'm desperate and I'm sad and all sorts of other different feelings pop in. But here's an observation that I've made when I meet people both in church and out of church, and I ask how their week's been. One of the most common responses is it's been busy, it's been tough, it's been hard. And reflecting personally, we kind of wear that almost as a badge of pride sometimes, of things have been really busy this week for me, I'm so important. But also exasperation, I wish things were a bit different. I wonder how often you say in response to how's your week been that it's been busy. The reality is that we live in a society that prizes being busy and being productive and society that says time is money and that don't stop, don't be lazy, that as much as you can make, as, whether that's money or productivity or work really hard, that's how much worth you have. Our society provides prizes activity, production and yet leaves those that are unable to, for a multitude of reasons, feeling marginalised, that if only they worked harder and did a bit more, life would get better for them. We're work-driven, profit-acquiring, spend your money, earn it so you can spend more, that your life will just get ultimately better and better. Don't just have a job, have a side hustle. Do things in the evening that keeps you busy. These are the waters with which we swim here at the moment. But the truest reality in which we exist is in God. We exist in God's reality. He is our greatest reality and he alone defines our worth. Time is his. Time is not money's. Time is his. And most people around us couldn't care less. Couldn't care less at the reality that we live, which we live in is God's. We receive pressures from everywhere to stay busy. Perhaps that is in paid employment. Perhaps that is being a parent. Perhaps that is being a friend or a carer. Stay busy. Keep going. Keep going. But what this keep going society, this one that prizes production, that prizes busyness does, is it blinds our eyes. It deafens our ears to the creator, God himself. We're scared of stopping. We're scared of what we might hear. The society that keeps us busy doesn't want us to listen to the quiet voice of God that ushers assurances and worth to you. One of the ways which God has provided us to stay aware, to stay with our ears open, to respond to him, to find him determining our reality, is to Sabbath. It's to keep Sabbath, it's to keep regular intervals where we quit our work and our busyness, where we quit doing, where we quit producing and consuming, and we can contemplate him. We rest. Sabbath quite literally means to do nothing, to cease. So we're going to encourage you to find that Sabbath rhythm again in your life. I feel like a bit of a fraud stood up here. We've had Nikki who I know to be a prayer, encourages on prayer. I know we've had Pete, who has encouraged us to be hospitable, and the Rodericks are one of the most hospitable people that I know. And yet I get to stand here and say, rest, 
when I don't know exactly what that means myself. So I'm looking forward to this summer, to finding a rhythm of rest again. And the community aspect of Sabbath is important as well. So on the 27th of August, we're going to rest, we're going to Sabbath together as a community. There'll be no meeting here. And the community aspect of Sabbath is very important as well. We get to encourage one another in a God-centered reality where if we cease, our worth does not get less, nor does the world fall apart because we are not keeping busy. Even hosting a Sunday morning meeting can be a source of busyness for people. There's probably about 20 or 30 people that regularly serve and work every Sunday to make this thing happen. So we want to as a community rest. Serving is great, right? We get to serve God, love one another. But we also need to cease. We also need to know that it is him who sustains our activities. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, if we do not quit regularly work for one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. And I quite like this quote. He says, the moral sweat pouring off your brows blinds your eyes to the action of God in us and around us. This sense that if we keep busy doing, keeping going, we somehow think that the whole of this existence, York City Church, our family, our friends, depends on our busyness and our ability to keep it going. But it is he who sustains us and provides us. What to do, therefore, on a Sabbath? Some practical helpers, and perhaps this is something you would like to discuss in communities over summer. Some things that I think that this means, it means that that pile of washing can wait, that email doesn't need to be sent, that social media doesn't need to satiate you for this moment in time. It's time to turn things off. It's time to be present in God's time and reality. And I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same how about my kids? They keep me busy all the time. And I don't know. I don't know what the true answer is, but I know that punctuating time with rest for them is important as it is for me. To punctuate our family life with rest and knowing that God, it, time is God's and my worth is not dependent on keeping going. Perhaps you're a carer. Perhaps you need to look after people in those times. God is with you, and it is his time, and he is kind. One of the best pieces of advice for Sabbathing practically is from a rabbi, and he says that if you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. If you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. And you might find that doing something different is what you need. If you're sat behind a computer all day, you might be getting outside, enjoying a different pace of life. Perhaps if you work with your hands, it might be some quiet reading. What I would say, though, is don't judge the success of a Sabbath by the outcome, by how much you could produce in that day, or how rested you feel, or how relaxed this has made you that you can work really hard again. Time is God's, and we enter in freely with his grace. We get to receive his work alone. Some days you'll feel so rested, rarely for me. Some days you'll feel like things are just going on, but you have punctuated and marked that time is God's and he is gracious. So Sabbath is a time set aside to do nothing so that we can receive everything. 
to set aside our anxious attempts to make ourselves useful, to set aside our tensed restlessness, to set aside our social media-satiated media boredom. Sabbath is a time to receive silence and let it deepen into gratitude, to receive quiet into which forgotten faces and voices make themselves present again. It's to receive our Lord's amazing grace once more. So this summer, we encourage you to pray, to believe, to trust, to enjoy relationship with him. We encourage you to be hospitable, to invite the outsider in, to welcome. And we also encourage you to find that rhythm of Sabbath rest again for you. That God's grace through all three things might be known to you and to us. Why don't we stand and pray? Jesus, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness. We thank you that you first spoke and now everything is, is response to your voice and we enjoy relationship with you today. We ask, would you speak to us again clearly in this season? May we see your voice, see your face and hear your voice once more to us. We ask you, would those outside find themselves on the inside of God and find the welcome of the one most high. May we find your grace and your mercy meeting those who don't know you this morning, that they would know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray, would you help us to cease? Would you help us to know your grace and your mercy, that we don't have to keep striving and producing in order to find worth, but we find our dignity bestowed by our creator. In your wonderful and powerful name we pray. Amen.